Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We have a fantastic episode on tap for you today. We are going to cover a wide range of hot, late-breaking topics that matter to you if you are a sports better. Uh, and especially if you are a sports better in the United States, especially if you're a person who cares about the NFL. This is going to be uh, one of the most fun ones we do this entire offseason, I suspect. Uh, even in the midst of uh, this global outbreak of the coronavirus, which is uh, threatening March Everything. Madness even happening. Everything. Andy, what's what's your mood like, Andy? You're pretty, uh, pretty chill today? Pretty not chill in, today? Not in a great... Like, yeah, my, my trip to Vegas is possibly in... I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. It, it, every every five minutes, there's new news, and I don't know what to believe. And uh, everybody yelling at each other about you're wrong. And I don't, I don't love any of this. These, no. you know what? You know what? I'm I'm going to go on the record saying, I'm not a fan of global pandemics. I'm going to take a hard stand there. <laughs> you're selling. You're selling, selling global pandemics. Selling global pandemics. Yes, it's not cool. So yeah, we're going to go into the NFL today because who knows if we'll even have basketball tomorrow anyway. Yep, time so, to start pr- getting ready yeah, for the 2020 once, season. Well, let's yeah, assume we have this under control by September. once. Yeah, once the heat and humidity uh, take care of the virus, we'll uh, fingers crossed, into, man. We'll move into the fall and we'll have football and sport will be back on again. Ooh, and gosh, and it is can't come soon. It, you know, there's some pertinent dates coming up. We have the draft right around the corner. Free agency is about to start. There's a lot. It's been maybe one of the better years for free agency. Like I, I don't, I can't remember ever having this many quarterbacks floating around. That's for sure. This has been a fun year for speculation on that. It certainly has. We're not going to recognize a lot of these rosters uh, come, you know, come August. It's going to be fun to kind of, you know, recalibrate thoughts on a lot of these teams. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but uh, without further ado, let's, uh, let's introduce our guest. Uh, because it's Wednesday, because we're it's, it's the off season, we get to interview fun people in the space. Uh, and today is no different. Uh, regulated sports betting, I would say, in the United States is expanding at a faster rate than I expected, which is great news for us as sports bettors because we have uh, competition, more open markets, and presumably, if you live in one of these states that's opening new books like Michigan and Illinois, both with brick and mortars online this week. You know, you have options near you uh, to get down on some of these sports bets, which is pretty exciting. Um, there was really no better time to reach out to our guest today uh, because he does have his finger on the pulse of the NFL and because he's one of the stars of the industry that is covering the growth of legalized sports betting in the United States. Welcome to the deep dive, Mr. Brad Allen. Hello, Mr. Whale Kappa. Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, it's a great honor. I'm a long time listener. Yes, Brad and I did uh, uh, what about twenty hours of content for the NFL yeah. this season, yeah. maybe twenty, twenty four, twenty eight, something like that. Yeah. It was uh, extremely fun having some back and forths, talking about game by game handicapping, and I uh, grew to really respect your opinion a lot. Uh, we went head to head. I feel like I lost the head to head over the course of the season. Uh, Andy, do you do you have an opinion on that? Did I lose head to head with Brad? Nearly every head to head of the season. <laughs> I don't think that's correct, but I think it's, 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 good to, it's good to be challenged, isn't it, right? It's good to test oh, each other's, you know, any kind of study of making forecasts or predictions will tell you that you need, you need people to challenge what you think. Um, so, you know, I, I like to think we both uh, improved each other's forecasting. 
I like it. Well, what, uh, where can people find you by the way, if they're, uh, if they're just hearing you for the first time, where, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at Brad Allen NFL. Um, and it's, it's mainly NFL talk, bit of baseball. Now, now the summer's rolling around and, uh, sports betting industry news. I like it. And, um, you have a relatively new gig, right? Uh, yeah, started with uh, legal res- legal sports report and online poker report uh, at the start of the year. Kind of made I've been covering the European online gambling for four or five years now, um, and that is pretty much stagnant now. Um, you know, a, a lot of European people in this industry are coming over to the US. It's kind of the land of opportunity at the minute. It's kind of where the action's happening. Um, a lot of people will tell you Europe the betting industry is is stagnating it's kind of tired and um you know they want to be where the action is uh so i'm i'm, I'm following the money and I've, I've headed west as well <laughs> i like it i like it um well it's i mean like i've always yeah it's like a whole thing yeah like oh man it just it's funny and silly things pop in my head all the time it makes me think of the baseball guy the baseball bread account. I don't even know who that is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you guys have seen that. It's just some yeah, some British guy that's trying to figure out American sports, and he spun a wheel to decide who his college football team would be. I think he has like Tulane, which is not great. Yeah, that was funny. I did enjoy that. Um, the baseball bread is legit. Um, although he's learning about baseball on the fly, Brad is bringing like wealth of knowledge. Having oh yeah, Brad the knows how stuff works. To, yeah, to the West, which is pretty cool. Um, and I guess. Just out of curiosity, you know, how did you get started as a journalist covering the space? And do you think that there is a pretty clear opportunity to to become sort of the distinguished voice covering U.S. sports betting, given that we kind of have a general lack of qualified folks covering the super important stuff that is happening on a day-to-day basis? Um, Well, I'll I'll start at the beginning there. I I mean, I've got into it just because I um, I, I love betting, basically. Um, (laughs) Since I was 15, you know, gambling on NFL and baseball. And just spent all my time thinking about that. And then kind of when I you know, graduated university, I thought, how, how can I spend more time doing this? And uh, so I started writing about the industry. Um, as for the US, it's, sports betting has always been a very tricky one to cover because it's, 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 it's a lot more complex than it looks from the outside. There's so much nuance, you know, just things like arbing or teaser legs. Like if, if you're new to this, and obviously a lot of people in the US are, it's it is it's a lot more complex than you think, um, and you know I, I'm not. I would say obviously there, there's a lot of good sports betting journalists already in the US. You know people out of legal sports like Dustin Gooker and um, you know David Purdom. They will do a lot of good work, but you know there's 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 some dodgy stuff as well out there. Um, Darren Ravel. I, I I don't know I don't know how controversial you want to be, but <laughs> I, I do think some. Oh of no, we can we can shit on Darren. It's, it's dangerous. I really think it's quite dangerous. Like the the, the promotion of Parley Pat, right? I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if we need to go over it again, but a lot of people would have seen that and gone, oh, look, betting on money line favorites is free money. I'm going to go and do that. And they will have lost more money than they can afford to lose. And then in picture perfect style, it turns out the guy's a psychopath. But Darren, Darren refuses to apologize. It couldn't have been his fault for promoting the psychopath. Uh, well, it's, to be fair, Brad, that would have happened before. So how, <laughs> how could have Darren? How, how could have Darren known? How could have Darren? That was that was a that was a rough, rough, rough saga. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there's. I suppose kind of my opportunities is I've, I've spent five years in the weeds of like platforms and beta feeds and stuff. Um, so I think that's kind of where I 
where I fit in with with legal sports world. You, you know, these guys are really good at all the regulations happening around the states, but I'm a little bit more in the in the nuts and bolts of how it works. Yeah, yeah. I had a. I mean, you, you talked about teaser legs, and it got me thinking about a conversation I had with a, a European vetter probably a couple of years ago, who he just didn't understand what a teaser leg was, and I mean, he wasn't. He was not an inexperienced better. He'd done quite a bit of betting successfully, and he just. He, I explained it to him, and he laughed at me. He said, "What? So you can move the." you can move it six points and he just, he started sending screenshots of pinnacle and whatever other books. He's like, I can move it 20 points either way for it. He's like, it just changes the price. He's like, I don't understand this. It's like, have you, have, I mean, have you had instances like that where there's a bit of a disconnect between European and American gambling besides yeah. the obvious, you know, American versus decimal odds? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's definite idiosyncrasies, but you know, just just little things like that like we we don't have teasers really unless you're a proper american nut um and then obviously <laughs> we, have, we have a load of our own languages you know uh, you, i don't know if you guys have heard of a lucky 15 or a, a trixie oh yeah i yeah. still don't understand how it works yeah um a lucky a day yeah yeah exactly he's he's constantly banging on about the uh the recreational sportsbook model um I, I think the biggest thing the biggest I see in the industry is the Europeans do have this kind of we've seen all this before we're, we've we've done this for 10 years we know how this works and the Americans rightly or you know it's, it's complex so they're like no you don't know how it's going to work here it's going to it's going to be different here we're going to do things our way and then the Europeans go no you're going to make you're just going to make the same mistakes that we did 10 years ago um, so that there's this constant kind of clash of who knows best you don't know how it works here well you don't know how this industry works um, so there's yeah, that's really well said. I get that. I picked that up pretty clearly, uh, and I think uh, I don't. I don't know. It does seem like in in the U.S. at least, and especially because we are kind of discretizing out state by state legislation in these, you know, and we're we're and you're you're shaping the way that sports are going to be bet in these states for years. Like it's going to take a long time to undo some of the damage of some of these absolutely ridiculously terrible sports bills that are being written and you know it's like you could have avoided all this if you just integrate you know just like learn learn the lessons that they learned in europe you know bring in some of the uh you know some of the better uh you know examples of you know good for the players good for the uh industry at large and you know and integrate that and instead it's just kind of like a, oh no this is a money grab we're gonna get what we can get we're gonna get as much as we can get and you know we don't really even we're not even engaging the people that understand this like is that all very a fair way to, to like kind of qualify how some of these states are going about their kind of legalization approach? Yeah. So basically there's, there's so much vested interest already. I mean, I was chatting to someone recently from Europe trying to get his company into the U S and he said, we underestimated how corrupt it was essentially, <laughs> but you just, you need to pay the right people because you know, the, the casinos have been employing people, the tribes, everyone has got their vested interest. And that's how you get these, these, these sports betting bills like in Tennessee, which has, you know the the customer has to lose five percent a year. The operators need to need to hold a certain amount of money, um, and that's it, it's it's kind of nonsense legislation. But someone somewhere has gone, oh, this will be a good way to protect players. Let's put that in there, and you know, it, there's a good chance it becomes law. And I don't, but there, I would say that there's there's already a good model. New Jersey has done it very very well. You know, it's it's posting these kind of record revenues every month, 
And it, I find it surprising that states can still go, oh, let's just ignore what they're going to do. We're going to come up with our own better version. And and you won't be able to do it because they've kind of, they've nailed it, really. I kind of want you to talk more about that Tennessee model because I remember, I, I swore it was someone else, maybe another state did this too, God help them. But it just seemed like the like lunacy in something where there's there's variance to be had. And if you, if you need to make up that 5%, I don't know what you do at the end of the year besides just, you know, continually increase the hold on bets to make up for it, or, or yeah. if it goes over that, do you lower it? Because it's not like I don't know if, if anyone knows how like how slot machines work. You know, it should be posted somewhere in the casino. You know, our slot machines pay ninety percent. So if everybody sitting around the casino puts a million dollars in, nine hundred thousand dollars is going to come out, and eventually, you know, eventually the the casino just they take their rake. It's you know, slot machines are all connected. If you ever thought, you know, oh man, I just got up from that slot machine and somebody else won on it. Like that's not how it works. It's, you know, it's just the luck of the timing. Eventually, <laughs> eventually one of them has got to pay out if they, you know, if it gets unbalanced, like it, they're all connected together. But with, with sports betting, it's not that way. You, you can't control it in the way you can control slot machines. I was, I was aghast when I read that, that they just, they said, this is, this is what we got to have at the end of the year. I have no idea how they, how the plan is going to come together if they get three quarters of the way through the year and they're not sitting at that number. Yeah, so it's, I, I, it's pretty fascinating. I think they got it from France, which has an 8% minimum hold, which is obviously huge. And the, the idea there was if, if you take 8 cents out of every dollar bet, 8 cents out of every euro bet, then the, the player won't want to keep betting because, you know, they're losing so much money. And that's oh, the way that Jesus. we're, we're going to stop. Okay. That's where we're going to make yeah. you gamble. So it was effectively right? a means of... Enforcing like, yeah, it's legal, yeah. but we're not actually going to let people play this long term. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's just we, we don't want you sitting down and betting for three hours repeatedly, or you know, betting yeah, all day every is. day because you won't have any money left. And so that's how we're going to stop you. Um, so in Tennessee, they were discussing it this week, actually. Um, and so they're, they're softening on it gradually. They started out with eight percent as well. They came down to five percent. Um, and it looks like it's going to be sort of calculated every every three years. So, you know, if after two years you're, at, you're only holding 3%, you know, I don't know, you're doing a bad job booking, then uh, you might just double your double your margin, double your VIG, and try and get up to that 5%. Um, but there, there, there's still no kind of penalties in place. They don't know what they're going to do to you if you don't manage to hit this this number. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all... Oh, man. If we try to gloss over some of the worst decision making, like what they did in Tennessee or Washington D.C., like, well, what I guess what are the um, the positives that you take out of a New Jersey model? What are the ways you can bring in some of the um, you know the plus EV ideas from the European models? Uh, you know, the good ones, I guess, not the ones that just you know brutalize the customers, I suppose. Uh, but the you know, like what what are the the um, the good? You know, what what makes a plus EV? Um, you know, sports betting bill and the state level. Yeah, well, I mean, you want online, you want the ability to offer online without needing to sign up in person or, or whatever. And you, you just want as much competition as possible. So Colorado has done a really good job on this. I mean, maybe even better than New Jersey with, with tax rates and stuff. They should be going live in May. And it's, you're going to, if you live in Colorado and, and you're a better, you're going to have an absolute whale of a time because there's going to be, 30 brands 
all online only, all competing for customers on a level playing field. So there's there's going to be people giving you really low odds. There's going to be people with, you know, sort of in, enticing sign-up offers. There's going to be different types of products. There's going to be the Vegas style sports books. There's going to be European style sports books with all these, you know, request to bets, cash out options. Um, and they'll they'll be giving away money. I mean, the cost of a new customer in New Jersey is about five hundred dollars plus. That's how much it costs a sports book to acquire a customer. So they'll happily give you two hundred fifty dollars in a bonus because that's that's a cheap acquisition for them. So if if you if you're in New Jersey, there's just free money out there. Sure. Um, and you know that's that, that's a that's a pretty good bonus if you live there. Yeah, the trade off is you have to go to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that, I mean, that acquisition price, while it's not surprising just because we've talked to other people about it, it's still like, if you just take a step back and think about it, that's a lot. And then that's why you, they can offer those big bonuses. That's wild. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it, in New Jersey, there's um, basically they found that customers, A, are a lot higher staking than Europe. Like the average, the average stake is something like $100 compared to, maybe five in England, like, you know, there's a very different style of betting. Um, There's much more five figure bets on Sunday night football where, you know, in England or or Europe, it's much more a five pound accumulator on, on the weekend football. Um, Ah. Yeah. It's it's, it's very different staking style. Um, Interesting. That's part of the reason why the the customers are worth so much more, but then it's also more difficult to move around between books because you've got to, give your social security number when you sign up so they're also finding customers much more sticky once they've signed up with you you you, you probably got them for life and again that's that's why that value is so high Oof, is there a way to predict uh, who the long-term winners are going to be in your opinion um i mean we it's obviously found you and DraftKings have kind of stormed out to this lead because of that that dfs database um and then, and then it's, it's kind of all up for grabs I think Bet365 is really fascinating. So they are kind of the global dominant book. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of them. If they're in Canada, they will have used them. And I personally think online, mobile, I think it's superb. I think it's just, it's wonderfully slick. It's like the technology they have is on a par with Netflix. It's on a par with anything. But you talk to novice bettors, and obviously most people in the US are probably going to be novice bettors because this is, this is relatively new. They find it overwhelming. Like there's so much on the screen that it is it's overwhelming to them. So I'm I'm fascinated to see how how Bet365 kind of puts roots down here because is is it going to work in, in in a kind of brand new country like this? I don't know. And if you you think just because of the potential stickiness that uh, if they don't stick their claim now, they could be left out in the cold potentially, or have to buy someone like a DraftKings or something. Yeah. So this is this is another issue. I was chatting to someone from a US operator about this this week in that, so US tech is a kind of winner takes most. The likes of Netflix, once, they, once they've reached critical mass, they kind of own that space or Google, Amazon, whatever. You know, once you get big enough, you own it. Now, sports betting and online gambling is not that way. You know, in, in the UK, there's, there's 28 sports books on the odds checker grid for price comparison. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of online casinos. So, we don't really know how the US, because it, you know, the US sports bank market is kind of a combination of them. Um, so I don't think it's going to be twenty-eight firms. I think it's going to be five or six because barriers to entry 
so much higher like you have to pay for market access to the casinos you have to pay a lot of money for licensing fees you have to set up new tech in each state because of the wire act so there's so many so many costs that it's going to be five or six people it's going to be FanDuel, DraftKings, Foxbet, uh, MGM, maybe Caesars and then there's, there's going to be everyone else fighting for scraps and we, we don't really know you know who, who long term I don't think the winner has been decided yet mm. Interesting. Do you, do you um, think we'd scrap yeah. though? I mean, would it? This was something that got me, and I, I believe it was maybe Captain Jack answered this for me. But I was excited when Iowa, which is really close to where I live, opened up. You know, some sports books they legalized. They went through with it. You know, I can make it to several books in an hour, hour and a half. And I had, I had a winning ticket from. I might still have it. I think it's in my car. I had a winning ticket. I took home. I accidentally bet on the Monday night late game early on in the season and had to bring it home with me. And I said, oh, it's a Caesars ticket. And I looked and Iowa has a Caesars or a, a Caesar, whatever it was. And I said, well, I'll just take it down there. This will be super convenient. And someone, and I believe it was Captain Jack's like, yeah, you can't do that because of the wire act. Doesn't matter if it's the same company. You can't cash a ticket from Vegas in Iowa, even if it's the same operator. And I mean, just like the barriers like that. Don't you think, I mean, don't you think that's just kind of antiquated? Maybe, you know, I'm not, I'm fine with state by state regulation, but some of that stuff seems a little bit over the top. Yeah. I mean, that, that I would say there's a lot of just ridiculous legislation like that, you know, in-person requirements, in-person sign-up requirements in Nevada is, is, you know, it's it's based on this idea that oh, we need to get people in the sports books, but there's there's no evidence or data that supports that. And the Wire Act is yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and it's costing people money, it's costing new convenience, it's costing operators money because they have to literally establish new tech stacks in each state because they're not allowed to send betting data across state lines. Oh um, my god! It's it's the reason we don't have betting exchanges. It's the reason you can't pull online poker liquidity. Um, and you know, there's there's no real reason there. It was established to stop, um, you know, organised crime taking bets across state. Now states have legalised sports betting, so surely now it's legal. It's not organised crime conducting sports betting anymore. Mm. Act doesn't. It's no longer fit for purpose. Um, and I, I, I was writing about this this week. It, you basically you either need Congress to take it up and sort it out like that, which is probably not a priority. It's probably not going to happen in the next four years. Or you need to get the, the Department of Justice to stop prosecuting it um, or stop enforcing, stop enforcing it more, which is more realistic. And it's there, there is some optimism that that could be gone in the next, I don't know, four years, and then we might get a betting exchange and shared liquidity and that kind of thing. Oh my! How does par- how, do you know how paramutual betting works in the U.S.? Because I thought that was effectively the same thing. There's carve-outs for horse racing, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was just okay. I, my head went the same. I went the same <laughs> way, where it's yeah. like, well, you know the you know the pools for some of these big races. I every time I go to the horse track, I'm betting on races in different states, maybe even different countries. I think I'm betting on some Canadian tracks. Yeah. Our government is not, uh, I, I, the likelihood that our government gets this right, does this right. I'm, I have, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give that one a long, a long shout outs. Um, because you know, there's so many, so many, uh, like you said, the, 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 um, you know, the effective corruption involved in all of this in terms of who gets paid, who, who ends up being a winner is, is a little, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a tricky, tricky water to navigate. And, 
um, shoot, man, that great article I just read that our buddy Kelly shared with us, which was like, yeah, you know what? Started the decline of horse racing in the United States. It was effectively like closing that tax loophole uh, on, you know, on, on, you know, using, uh, you know, investment in a horse ra- you know, in a uh, racehorse as a, uh, as a tax shelter. Like when they closed that in 1986, like that was effectively the beginning of the end. And I was like, that's, that's crazy. Like whoever would have thought. Um, but you know, now here we sit with the, you know, horse racing is kind of on the deathbed here in the United States. It feels like to a degree, whereas something like Cheltenham, is that how you pronounce it in the UK Chel- is like, yeah. Cheltenham. 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 Yeah. Cheltenham. That's like, what is that the biggest, uh, single betting day in all of the, the UK year in, year out? Yeah, it's four four day festival and it's you know it's berserk. Um, everyone in the land is talking about horse racing and I th- I, there was an operator this week said they'd take something like ten times as many transactions as Amazon on the first day. Oh my god! Um, because it's you know it's, it's it's hundreds of thousands of bets every minute. It's it's every, everyone in the country is horse racing mad for the week. Mm. Um, the uh, I, I guess. Is there a reason that the exchanges haven't just become the only place people bet uh, in the EU or UK at this point? It feels like they offer clearly the best pricing. Like, why hasn't like our our customers there not just not as price sensitive to hold percentage and things like that? Yeah, this is this is really interesting. So obviously, I do most of my betting on the exchanges now, and I think I think the problem that us that you Andy that your listeners have is we assume everyone is like us and wants the best they want the best price they want to make sure. money they want to carve out a two percent edge or whatever but that's not really the case like people just want people just want to stick a 10 pound bet on the football and watch it you know they want to stick a five pound acker and they want it they want it to be really simple they want to do it in two clicks and they want it to look nice and an exchange unfortunately today is not a slick simple interface and an, an, an enjoyable experience i mean I, I like sitting watching a football match and trying to trade it on on betfair but most people don't they just want to click the bet <laughs> and away they go and i think all of us we just assume that everyone's like us but that was, what's that quote it's like people are lazy horny and greedy and if you can give them two two out of the three you have a business right and <laughs> And, and, a, and a, a sports book like Bet365, where you can stick a, an accumulator on with two clicks, it gives you two out of three, right? And, uh, sure. We might, yeah, we might need to do like a, we might need to do a translator for ACA. If people don't know, people don't know what an accumulator is over here. It's not too late. Oh, we can give you a breaking news. uh, Yeah, we can give you some hardcore hit, hardcore uh, gambling journalism here. We have Aka Andy on on the uh, on the line here. This guy absolutely uh, kills it with the Akas. Um, Yeah, it's just oh man, it's uh, it's amazing how much money he's won with the Aka. Um, But you know, in in seriousness, um, it means parlay. It means parlay. Um, The yeah, did did, uh, do you have a sense of uh, kind of I guess just kind of pivoting hard here? Uh, into you know what the the news of the day. I mean, I don't think we could really talk about sports betting without acknowledging that there are a shitload more serious things going on in the world right now. Um, Cheltenham likely to go off without a hitch, or do you get the sense that uh, it's going to get the same treatment that we're we're dealing with here for March Madness, NBA? You know, these uh, events can being contested without fans. Uh, and yeah. uh, I guess what do we what do we expect as sports betters in this kind of crazy new paradigm? 
I don't know if you saw, but so all all the UK gambling Twitter has been talking about for the last week or two has been this Betfair market on will Cheltenham go ahead? Um, you know, they, they put that up on Betfair and every single trader in the land has been watching it and talking about it for the last two weeks. And and at one point it was 50-50 either way. Um, and then it's obviously we had Jacobs and Carlos two days left. Um, and honestly, well, we're kind of veering off sport thing here. I think it's madness that they've allowed it to go ahead, but there's there's some real real commitment to uh It's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. But that's there's so much money that's gonna be lost. There's so many I mean, NCAA, I know it's gonna be behind closed doors by the looks of it, but if that's off, there's so much money that's gonna be lost, so many new customers that will never be acquired. And it's oh, yeah. an absolute absolute nightmare for, for sport. Well, it is like, oh, dude. like you said, um Michigan, Illinois. They just this, got those this, up for this. This is a nightmare scenario for them. Like yeah. we, we need to, uh, you know, it's acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. And we need, you know, we need to get people to bet on everything. And then all of a sudden half the sports get canceled. Yeah. Shit, man. That's We're talking about, are, Ve- are we going to Vegas next weekend or not? Like we don't it's, fucking know. I might, like, I might just, you, I'm you're going to go anyway, even if they're not playing the games. Uh, I asked somebody about my chicken pox theory. They said it's the opposite that you could get coronavirus. <laughs> he he said it yeah, infinity yeah, yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that, and yeah. I don't want to get it infinity times. Yeah, no, no. That's that doesn't sound good. There's a lot of negatives uh, for getting it, and even beyond just your kind of responsibility in the community at large, not to uh, you know not to be part of the problem in terms of demand on the healthcare industry. But with all that said, um, you know I do. I guess you know. To, we expect that they're, I think the money, the advertising dollars, the, you know, just the, the, you know, people are going to need some, you know, everyone's going to be self quarantined, you know, in their houses, there's going to be, you know, much, many, many fewer people traveling and, you know, really, you know, probably working like this is an enormous distraction, enormous economic impacts beyond, you know, anything we've seen in a really long time. Um, but so, so I guess my guess would be that, you know, with no fans, they still probably, do March Madness? They still probably conduct those games. Like, do you you have a theory, Andy, on uh, whether or not empty arenas impact uh, you know the handicap in any way, shape, or form? I, I don't think it does a ton. They were uh, just they were already neutral sites. It's funny we did have this conversation with someone earlier. They went right away to baseball and kind of explained what they thought. Um, you know, how baseball, why home, home field advantage, you know, and they split it up by travel. They, and actually baseball is a great example. It is a little different because of the rules, like in the NFL, the NBA, NCAA, nothing changes about the game just because you're playing somewhere else in baseball, you bat second or you, you bat first rather if you're away, you know, there is kind of an inherent difference to being maybe maybe that's the greatest example is baseball, but football, you know, domed, we said domed crowds where you can get a very loud crowd uh, disrupting an offense possibly. But I think a lot of home field is just travel. And with a ton of these games, I mean, it's the advantage was to the higher seeds who were given, you know, nearer sites where, you know, like Gonzaga would play on the West coast and Duke's going to play on the East coast. Not a lot changes there. The travel is going to be the same. And maybe a minor disadvantage to some of the teams with the really good traveling fan bases. You lose a little bit of that, but I'm not sure it affects too much. I think it's going to make it weird. I think it's just going to be really, really weird to watch. 
Yeah, weird and depressing. Uh, anything specific you think we're missing, Brad, on the uh, potential for no home field advantage in sports in yeah, for the for, for indefinitely? I'm probably a little bit more kind of on the side that it will have an impact. Um, you know, if we're talking NFL, home field is is two and a half, and there were no fans, I would make it one point two. You know, cut it in half because I do think personally, from what I've read in places like scorecasting that biggest part of home field is the referee bias uh you know whether it's just being just favoring the home team just instinctively because of the you know crowd back baying for blood and that kind of thing and if if there is no longer that peer pressure that social force um and it's perfectly called game then then i, I do think that will knock a point or two off home field that makes sense to me that checks out nba i would say something similar i feel like the officials absolutely uh, still real, uh, you know, realize some advantage for the home team based I, on yeah, uh, NBA, I'd say NBA yeah. more than NFL because like the, the one part of what Brad said, which is total lunacy was uh, I think he said uh, an evenly well ref to read match. You're never going to have that in the NFL. The refs are just so bad. <laughs> doesn't matter who they're by. Like, yeah, but if it, they're randomly bad, that doesn't that doesn't random, necessarily randomly bad might yeah randomly yeah, bad might even out. Yeah, I feel like just, that was that last year. I really feel like the refereeing was just randomly bad. It last was year, very as opposed random. to preferentially bad. Um, okay, well let's pivot to football since uh, that's kind of the, the that those football are the hasn't of our been podcast. canceled yet. It has football been, still on, still on. Although the NFL draft in Vegas is definitely on the ropes, which is a bummer. Although maybe if we cancel Vegas, uh, just uh, roll that into a little uh, trip out for the draft if that draft, still goes on. Time. Interesting. It's like end of end of April. That's probably in that. I know the epidemiologist. That's not necessarily still yet a good time to travel, but I'm uh, gonna think about that. Um, pivoting to football, though. Clear king of this, you know, sports for U.S. players makes up a ridiculous proportion of the U.S. handle uh, handle annually. Um, how did you first get into the NFL, being uh, that you're a player in Europe, and uh, you know, how do you approach NFL betting from a process standpoint, Brad? Uh, I got into it via Madden. I just had a I had a mate at school. I think it was the the Madden with Mike Vick on the cover, and it was all oh, that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. That was that was my first year. Started playing that. Watched the Super Bowl that year when uh, I think Peyton Manning beat the Bears. Devin Hester took the opening kickoff back for the touchdown, um, and yeah, just sort of got into it from there basically. Um, so my process, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not as shrewd as you and Andy, and I, I've never built my own model or anything. So I I feel like you've got to start with a number. Um, and I generally start with a publicly available model, you know, whether that's 538. I mean, 538 is a QB adjusted model they are publishing this year. I think is a, is a pretty good starting point. Um, or, you know, Football Outsiders numbers, Massey Peabody published numbers. I think you, you can find a decent starting point. Um, and then I would say matchups is where I look into. Um, and two key being offensive line how they're going to match up against the opposing defensive line and then the coverage versus the receivers um and I, I, obviously you know a lot of people will tell you pro sports now like the nfl highly liquid sports have been solved because you know algorithms models they know the true price i would argue that especially a sport like nfl if you can get granular into what's going to happen on this field how this how this left tackle is going to match up against this right end um, you know, whether he's a speed rusher, a bull rusher, all, all that kind of thing, or, you know, this wide receiver runs a 4 and he's, he's going up against a kind of bigger body corner. 
I think there's still edges to be had that, that might not even be recognised in the closing line. So, uh, yeah, that's 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 how I'd go about capping an NFL game. I like it. Uh, you just reminded me in that discussion, we didn't 100% agree on the Super Bowl, but we kind of did. Uh, you can, your angle going forward was, you know, hey, like Chiefs offense is not going to look great against a, a rested, healthy, fully, you know, fully mobilized pass rush from San Francisco. But those guys are going to get tired. So I think you were looking at like a first half under San Francisco first half kind of look. And then uh, I, my my angle was effectively, you know, no lead is safe. Like the Chiefs will come back. It doesn't matter when or where. Like, uh, you know, did, did you manage to get a bet on the uh, Chiefs for the second half of that one? Or did you feel like uh, the Niners uh, were going to we're going to take that? I didn't. So I, I had the I had the San Fran first half plus a half, which was nice. And then so watching that game in the fourth quarter, there was a point where I I, I thought Mahomes had a hand injury. I he he was he was shaking his hand. He was looking at his hand. He like bounced a few passes, and I thought I just thought, oh my god, his hand's gone. So I, I then bet the uh, San Francisco again, and then the, they, they blew up spectacularly. <laughs> so so yeah. that didn't go well for me. But uh, broadly, we we had the idea, right, didn't we? Yeah, no, I thought that uh, just generally, like the thesis for you know how the the game would play out was uh you know was was pretty much exactly on script which was pretty cool um how do you i guess how do you apply uh you know if you're into if you're into pff if you're in football outsiders 538 it sounds like you're kind of plugged into some of the uh, kind of the heavy duty analytics uh, that is going on around football is that fair oh yeah definitely i mean i think that's that's like pff definitely this this last year or so they've invested a lot in actual proper data scientists and they're they're kind of doing what baseball did 10 years ago they're they're trying to find out the truth of the game almost like you know brand new research on, on what matters and, and what is what is affecting what's playing out on the field and I, I think there's useful stuff in there you know they were they were some of the first on defense doesn't matter which you know you'll know from last season is, is one of my favorite handicapping tenets can you explain that in a little more detail for people who may not know defense doesn't matter that's all there is to it no, there's more to it. I know it's, no, it's not. No, no, there's it's, more it's, to it. Um, I mean, maybe you should explain. I think we use this term a lot, and I'd like, I'd like, I'd like Whale to explain it when we say sticky when we're talking about forward handicapping, forward forecasting. Sure, because defense sure. isn't sticky. Defense isn't terribly predictive. Yeah, no the the entire um, there is a very straightforward statistical test you can do where you take a sample set of data. If you, if you, you know, you, you, let's say we take the first half and the second half of the NFL season. You take the first eight games, second eight games, and you look specifically at the correlation between some metric in the first eight versus that same metric in the second eight. And what you're looking at specifically is how well are you able to project what that metric will be over the second eight games, given that you have data from the first eight games and some things like quarterback performance, some things like offensive performance, some things are extremely sticky and that you have a very strong signal uh, in, you know, that you can project forward in a predictive way. Other things like defense are extremely not that and, San Francisco is a really good example this year because if you expected their defense to perform over the last eight weeks, last eight games of the season, based on data you collected over the first eight games, like I got bad news for you. You got burned on a lot of overs and they didn't cover on a lot of games they should have. Like there was a, a specific market, um, you know, a market inefficiency there where 
you know, San Francisco's defense was overrated over the second eight games of the season. And, well, you know, you can point to specific anecdotal stuff like, oh, well, they had injuries to these guy, this guy, this guy, like their, oh, their D line wasn't as deep, like Witherspoon was out. Like, you know, you can point to specific things, but in reality, like, there is a broad enough signal across enough teams across enough seasons that tells you that a lot of the defensive you know, performance statistics that you can compile are more of a reflection of how good of an offense they played and how well they matched up against those offenses. And that's not something that you can effectively use in a forward, you know, a forward projecting manner. Is that a fair a clear description? We need an we need an antonym for sticky. <laughs> yeah. Something something Smooth? to say. I don't um, know. Non-predictive, facile. Uh, yeah, there's, there is, we'll there is, a, there is a, there is a statistical term, and it's escaping me right now. Um, but just we'll basically, there. there's, there's no, there's, there's a lack of strong correlation really between, uh, you know, how you do over free, you know, and yeah, you know, and grant, and this goes year over year as well. You know, you can look at different data sets, and you can apply the same thinking. And you know, the reason that, like a couple of years ago, the reason that uh, people like, last year, the reason that people were cold on the Bears was what. Like they, you know, a lot of the expectation of them market wide was they had this amazing defense last year. They're going to have an amazing defense this year, but that's just, it's, it's much more of a reflection of last year. They played tons of poor teams in some bad situations. Uh, they had an easy ass schedule and they had career performance from a couple of players this year. They didn't have any of those things and their defense suffered for it, right? Like they were still good, but they weren't great enough to elevate them from an eight and eight team to a 12 and 14, which they were the previous season. Does that all check out to you, Brad? Yeah, well, that, that was the reason a lot of people were high on San Francisco before the season as well, because last year they had two interceptions total. And, you know, there's, there was just a completely random outcome. And there was just, you know, you just regressed that to a normal level. And then obviously they went way over it this year. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just... Uh, and, and Josh Hermsmeyer, um, he obviously does quite a lot of good work here as well. You know, he, he he was one of the first of this defense doesn't matter as well. But he, he's also been saying recently, well, maybe we just don't have the right metrics yet. You know, we, we just don't understand it fully yet. But once we kind of advance a little bit more with our understanding of what's going on out there, we might be able to find a metric that is predictive for defense, but we, we don't have it yet. Yeah. And I mean, I think we should it should be noted that a lot of this is tongue in cheek. Right. You're challenging a very, very specific paradigm, which is that, you know, hey, I'm going to go project an outcome. How good is the defense? How good is the offense? Let's mash them up in some way. And if you give them 50 50 weight, I have terrible news for you. You are not going to have a very project predictive model. Right. But if you weight them in, a, in an appropriate manner where you're, you know, you're fat on offense and lean on defense, then you're in good shape in general. That's what the data science would tell you. And, uh, you know, that making those kind of that nuance change to my, my approach a couple of years ago was extremely helpful. I was way fat on some defensive teams uh, that, uh, you know, that I was getting myself into trouble with because, you know, like you look for, you know, I, I like that you're, you're kind of using a matchup based approach. I think that's super valid and very, you know, very useful. Um, but if your matchup approach is, well, this defense is great and this offense stinks, then, you know, that's it's. it's still missing some of the you know some of the important context because the def you may have a perception that the defense is great because they've played you know a, a weak schedule to that point and or you know they they just have uh you know accumulated counting stats that aren't exactly um you know expressive of yeah this is actually a good defense right cool yeah yeah anyway um 
How about uh, have you gotten into any of the uh, the PFF uh, Football Outsiders kind of philosophy in terms of team team building uh, as we get into free agency in this offseason? Yeah, there was a really interesting piece. I think it was from Eric Eager at PFF in the last week or two, um, where he was trying to work out on on defense what's more important, kind of having star players or having depth, and particularly in coverage, they found that depth in secondary was a lot more important than just having one star man and it's kind of the idea that the defense is there to be attacked the offense can pinpoint exactly where they want to target so if you've got Darrell Revis on one side and then you've got a bum on the other side the offense is just going to throw over there and so you you know you need four strong corners and I mean (laughs) look look who took the lead by storm last year the Ravens what did they do they got as many good secondary players as they could Um, and then similarly on the offensive line, I think it's kind of a similar story. Again, that you're you're only as strong as your weakest part. Like if if your right tackle gets beat within two and a half seconds, it doesn't matter what the left tackle is doing. So again, depth, <laughs> yeah. depth, depth is, is yeah. probably more important than um, yeah. you know just having one standout player. So I guess if we're looking at you know it, teams in the off season, I want teams with a lot of depth across the offensive line and in the defensive backfield. That's totally fair. So we saw some, you know. Offensive line injuries and, I mean, secondary injuries, although they made the playoffs. When Tennessee was missing, you know, a bunch of players in their secondary, I mean, the, the only saving grace, I don't think I don't think people quite understood how bad that team was in that section of the play you know, of, the, of the season. Like, it was masked by Tannehill just magically scoring every single time they got, like, even inside the 30, they scored a yeah. touchdown. Like, that team was bad. They weren't very good. They, their defense was extremely porous, but their their offense just hit a high deviance level and scored all the time. It made a big difference, and it I like the comparison of a pass rush to an offense because, like you said, you're attacking a defense. Pass rush kind of does the same thing. You can attack. You can pick out a weak spot. It's like you know if you do have one stud secondary. You know I, I think that's a narrative that gets pushed around. Like oh man, he takes away half of the field. Or he's going to lock down your number one guy, but it's like having a, a four mile wall with one really, really thick section. Like, well, I'm going <laughs> to, yes. I'm going to go knock down one of the thin sections for two hours and see how you like me now. It, it's, it, it, I read the same article, the good Dr. Eager. He writes some good. I love some of the guys over at PFF. And that was a, that was an interesting one indeed. So do we, do we look out for them? Um, you know, specific uh, teams that are, quote-unquote, doing things the right way in terms of trying to address depth at key positions? Or do we, do we try to uh, – or and I guess, like, can we, can we attribute some of the Patriots' success to their insistence on trading down in the draft, accumulating, uh, accumulating talent via the draft, and then letting that talent leave and getting extra draft picks via the you know, compensation, com- compensatory picks? Like, it seems like the, the blueprint is there. Uh, for anyone that wants to follow it, do we know who's following the the right blueprint? Yeah, I, I I think kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from the matchup stuff we're talking about. I think there is also value in that kind of macro look at look at it. So I would say the Cleveland Browns, for example, there was a lot a lot of noise this year that now Paul De Podesta has the reins of that organization. Well, we obviously know that he's he's full, he's all in on analytics, like the. Um, the new coach, what's his name, the chap from the Vikings. Um, he, he's going to have to go and present the game plan every Friday to Deep Podesta to make sure that it's in line with kind of where they should be attacking or 
you know, I guess enough enough passes on first downs. Um, and especially with Freddie Kitchens out the door, um, where all you were hearing about was that they would game plan a week and then he'd just turn up and call whatever plays he wanted. Then I, I think there's huge upside in the Browns if they're now run correctly instead of run by an idiot. Like, you know, I think I think Browns Browns overs Browns um, you know Super Bowl futures. I, I think there's a lot of upside in that because we we saw what what the Ravens did. If you if you make smart decisions, you know, if you've got four downs instead of three, if you if you fit your game plan to your team like a smart team, well, you know, it sounds it sounds really obvious, but you know, fifty percent of the teams still don't do it. Then I think there's huge edges to be had. There's bigger edges than any other sport, I, I would say. Mm. And does that check out to you, or do you think there's something uh, about Baker Mayfield that holds them back? I guess we'll find out. I, w- I was low <laughs> on him. We were low. I, I, this is the time of the year where I start to make my stands, and it's just like, oh boy, it's like a microcosm. Uh, what's the opposite of a microcosm? Like an expansion. We're looking at the forest, not the tree, right now. You know, like sure. when we break down an NFL slate, you start to pick out. You know, here's where my numbers sit. I'm going to look at it. Here's where my numbers don't match up. I'm going to bet them or I'm going to look deeper into them. And as the week goes through, I'm going to hone those edges, see if I need to add to them. If I buy out, what, you know, what do I really feel? What, you know, what am I looking at that's going to take me away from betting a game or, you know, continuing to add on to a game right now we're doing the exact same thing, but at a team level, like for the season, and I have a lot of preconceived notions that I got to wash out of my head. And I think that's where, that's where this is, you know, I, I thought about this when we talked about doing NFL off season, maybe a little free agency talk. I'm like, ah, that's not really handicapping, is it? But then if you get into it, it really is because oh, you, yeah. do, you do, you got to start to at least get your priors straight and decide what these teams are going to be like, especially if you are getting into the regular season wins market, those are going to open soon. And we're definitely going to, you know, you're definitely going to want to get on some of those early. If you want to take actual big positions on regular season win totals, it is very advantageous to be ahead of the market on those because they can take, you know, how many times do we see that? You know, we, we have that conversation every year yeah. about how a lot of them are off, but there's still, there's still some every year that land, you know, within a half game. A half sure. game is, a, it's, a, it's still a big deal. So I think that's what we're doing, you know, with teams right now. We're deciding what teams are doing things the right way, what teams are trending away from where they they were last yeah. year. And, you know, you got to look at the whole kit and caboodle as far as free agency draft, depth, you know, what they're doing at the coaching staff, ownership, everything. If if they're promoting a, a GM instead of hiring a GM, like in Houston, there's, I mean, yeah. there's a little, you know, you have yeah. warning, you have warning flags, you have red flags on teams and you have maybe buy signals. And yeah. I'm, I'm super excited for, uh, for the NFL draft to come around because I think that's when I really start to kick it in when I can see like, all right, you can tell a lot, maybe not about, you know, season success, but a team's plan, especially the teams that, you know, actually have a plan once they get through free agency and they get through the draft, like, all right, sure. They have a plan. Like they know what makes a good team or you see like a team drafting running backs way too high or trading up for kickers. Like it's like, Oh, this, this team has a front office full of chimps. Like they, they don't know what they're doing here. So yeah, it does get, this is maybe one of the more interesting times of the NFL for me, I think, because you can start to feel, feel out what teams are planning for the year. Cause there, mm. you know, no team's ever going to say, Hey, we're just tanking it, but you can, you can, there's, there's red flags. 
for sure. Like a team like the Giants is already on my radar because you're hearing, you know, the fact that they retained Gettleman, which, you know, flies in the face of all of the empirical data, which says he should have been removed from his position. Uh, and that Gettleman now, he knows that his seat is hot and he's got a checkbook. He's going to spend like a, like a monster, right? Like he's just going to go out and just give guys contracts, you know, and, and try to, uh, you know, make enough of a, an impact in terms of year over year improvement that he can get it, keep his job for another year, right? Like that's an enormous motivating factor. And a lot of the decision-making that goes into these team, uh, you know, the, the team organizational building exercise, even though that is in no way, shape or form, a plus EV kind of approach, right? Like you, you saw, a, uh, uh, I, I, you saw a GM like Chris Ballard with the Colts last year. Like he had a ton of cap space. He had the full confidence of the fan base and full confidence of the owner. Like he could have gone out and, you know, given outrageous contracts to lots of free agents, but he didn't, he was reserved. They, you know, they used their, uh, their leverage to trade down in the draft and accumulate more future assets. Like it was a really like well done off season for the Colts. I felt like short of the Andrew Luck retirement, but there's nothing you can do about that, I guess. Um, but you know, and so I think there are for sure some teams you can circle right now and say like, Oh yeah, no, they are already primed to just go and make a ton of mistakes. And I think the giants are at the top of that list. Anyone stick out for you, Brad? <laughs> That's such a good one. Um, I mean, it would have been the giants if you ask me, I mean, yeah. the obsession <laughs> with, with stopping the run, you know, it's, yeah. he, he, he's Gettleman's still in the 1980s. Um, <laughs> You know he's gonna he's gonna yeah. ruin his young young quarterback, but you know they'll have a great run defense. So good luck to him. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, the, they, that's a, I yeah. think we have a consensus play. Okay. Um. So so in in that uh, in that same kind of mindset. Um. What? Ah, dude, this this came across the wire today, and I about laughed out loud, fell out of my chair. And we've taken some some funny stances on this team and this player in the off season, and just because. I, you know, I see more potential than the market, apparently, or at least the, the, the common NFL fan in terms of, of perception. But like the quarterback position, you either have a quarterback who can win you a championship or you do not. And I think there are a number of franchises out there, more than 20, that do not have that quarterback. Right. And there is a player who pres- looks entirely likely like he is going to land in free agency, who I think might be that player. There are really, I can't name you six guys in the NFL. If we were redrafting from scratch of available guys in the NFL right now, we'll leave the, we'll leave the rookies out of it because we have no clue how they'll be draft, you know, how they'll develop and play in the league to this point. But of the guys that are playing currently, I could really only tell you six guys I would take over James Winston. And that's, that is crazy to me that you could get a top 10 quarterback potentially for the next three years in free agency right now. And presumably even at a discount, like I do not get where, what, what is going on here, Brad, we've disagreed about a lot in the NFL. I'm almost expecting you to come over the top here and throw some haymakers and say, James Winston is going to be a bust wherever he lands next fade that team. Um, do you share yeah. any of this sentiment? So I, I like James, right? I, Basically, statistically, the deep ball is pretty much the most efficient play in the NFL. So anyone that's willing to just let it rip downfield, you know, I'm willing to I'm willing to accept some more interceptions because that, that's just part of it. If you want to make these big time throws, you've got to take you've got to take the odd interception. So, but when I, when I started looking into Jameis today, his, his numbers just 
weren't very good, like clean pocket completion percentage. We know clean pocket is kind of the most stable stable metric for quarterbacks. He, he was 31st in the NFL last year. You know, he's, he's kind of known for his deep ball. His deep ball completion percentage was 17th in the NFL. His adjusted yards per attempt, so that, you know, that, that does penalise him for interceptions, but he should also have a high yards per attempt. He's going deep. He was 17th in the NFL. So pretty much everything I looked at suggested he was, he was middle of the pack and the interceptions did indeed just outweigh all the good stuff he does and he was just middle of the pack. Mm. He got LASIX, man. He can see everything. Yeah. He's seeing the field. <laughs> Flamus, another another shout out. We're gonna have to like tag Eric Eager in this because yeah. shout out to him for Flamus Winston trademark. I just, I don't know. I see I see so much potential. Honestly, like the just the fact that he, he needs can, the right situation. Yes, he. But right situation aside, like. Um, yeah, cause I, I did think I did not, um, in, entirely, I was not on board entirely with the, um, the approach that, um, Byron Leftwich was coordinating that offense for the Bucks last year. And there was a lot of games where I feel like they did not, um, necessarily come up with a, you know, the, the most advantageous script for attacking their opponent, but that's, you know, and, and so in a, in a more, um, I don't know, in a more, in, a, in an offense that I feel, uh, better about the overall approach. I feel like he could do better, but even just more than that, like he's stupid young. He's stu- he's so young. You can get him on a very team friendly contract right now, and, and that's I'm, how teams win. Yeah, I mean, team team, and that's I think you really crushed a point right there. Teams win when they're able to build around a decent quarterback on a very friendly quarter of, you know, a, a very friendly kind of deal. He's not, it's not going to be full on rookie deal money, but you know, he's, he's been so up and down that he just can't, he can't demand some of the money that some of these other star quarterbacks are. And you can, you can definitely build around that. So what do you project for his contract? Because I've, I've, I've not really looked into what his expectations, but I would have thought 20 million plus. And then yeah, he's, he's, I, not, he's yeah. not cheap, right? Well, it's it's cheap relative well, it's to what cheap. you're going to have to give Dak Prescott, right? I mean, like, this is a great segue into the Cowboys. Like, the Cowboys, like, I, okay, like a player like Dak Prescott, while he was, he was, very, he had a, a tremendous um, improvement year over year from year, year, yeah, I guess it was year two to year three, or year three to year four last year. And yes, he deserves, absolutely deserves franchise QB money. I don't think the Cowboys can afford to try something different, change lanes, you know, change approach here, but he's going to get like $35 million. Like that literally, this is literally has the potential, has the whiffs, has the, you know, the fingerprints of the Jared Goff contract that the Rams did for him in the offseason, right? Like Jared Goff took that team to the Super Bowl. Sure. Like they got there for a lot of reasons beyond besides the fact that Jared Goff is a franchise quarterback that's going to get you into Super Bowl contention year over year. But the Rams overall as a roster last year were stars and scrubs. It was boom or bust for them. A couple injuries here or there, and they were absolutely a middling team as opposed to you know a team that could legitimately compete for an NFC championship. And I think a lot of that was roster construction and imbalance and how much money you had uh, you know, committed previously to uh, a defensive star and a, and a running back. Like, is this starting to sound familiar? Like, the Cowboys yeah. literally are going to be Rams 2.0 uh, just based on the way that they are currently rostered in the, and kind of the, the year, you know, what they're looking at here because they're going to have to pay Dak, Dak Prescott. And guess what? If you pay Dak Prescott, you have, 
better seriously think about bringing back Amari Cooper because the on-off with Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott, if you look at a two-season sample, is stark. It is yeah. stark. Well, that's a good comparison with the 35 mil because James Jameis probably gets 20, 23, 24. I was like, thinking yeah, 22, 23. Yeah, yeah he's not going to be right. cheap, but you're getting, I mean, you're getting the same thing. You're getting a $10 million a year discount because there is some question marks. I, I, I just think, yeah, it is a good deal. Like maybe I was a little overboard with the rookie deal. Like nothing, nothing's going to be in a rookie deal. But in rookie deals, you you end up with a lot of duds as well. Like you, yeah, you don't I mean, know what you don't know what you're getting. You're getting a hell of a deal, but the trade off is like, is this guy going to be any good, or do we have you know do we have what the Bears have? So if you're in, telling you know me in this as, situation, you're getting yeah, you're getting a thirty five million dollar quarterback for twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, you're and and what was floated today, the Bucks potentially. Going all in on Brady, like you're gonna use, you're gonna, you're gonna give, you're gonna pay Brady ten million dollars a year more than you would have paid Jameis Winston to see Brady decline when you could continue to foster Jameis Winston's growth after seeing what he's capable of at his highs. Like his ceiling is so much higher than so many of the other quarterbacks in the NFL. And guess what? If you're a team that doesn't have a quarterback, if you don't have Pat Mahomes, if you don't have Lamar Jackson, if you don't have Russell Wilson. If you don't have Deshaun Watson, I, I mean, maybe there's a couple other guys in this conversation, but if you don't have a guy that can single-handedly elevate your team's performance and put you in contention for the Super Bowl, then take a chance on Winston. Like, this is the same kind of thing as, like, if you're the worst team in a game, like, you shouldn't be running a risk-averse offensive strategy. Like, you need to throw haymakers. You need to take chances. Like, you, you're, the variance is only going to, you know, help you. Uh, in this sort of situation. And I think uh, that's where a lot of teams across the NFL sit right now. Cause Bucks considering guys like, like uh, Philip rivers and Tom Brady is like, it's mind blowing to me is it is mind blowing to me, especially given that they have, you know, a defense that is starting to solidify to Todd Bowles and they have the offensive weapons that they have a wide receiver right now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on with that. And I guess, you know, just kind of going back to the Cowboys and the Rams correlation, does that, Pass the smell test to you, Brad. And what do you think overall of the Cowboys in terms of their approach going forward? I am. I'm a big fan of that LA Rams comparison because it feels to me like the Cowboys are badly run, right? Like giving giving all that <laughs> giving all that money to Zeke Elliott is yeah. It's a terrible decision. There's, there's literally no two ways around it. It's a terrible decision. But they they it feels like they've run hot for so long, accumulating talent. You know getting people like Dak in the fourth round, building that offensive line, getting those linebackers and stuff. They Have they just run hot or are they actually good? Because, you know, sort of research will tell you that no one is good at drafting. It's, it's all just randomness. <laughs> so if, if they keep if they keep making these decisions like paying Ezekiel Elliott and then, well, now we're going to lose our best corner or our best wide receiver, you know, that, that, that franchise will go downhill because you can't keep running hot on in the draft so I don't know, it's tough as well because they did underperform their metrics um, last year and they would otherwise be a team that you, you want to buy don't they um, yeah here so and we'll, we'll kick one. this let's kick this right back to Andy because Andy has been you know relatively ready to go in the buy uh, and I gotta ask you Andy look at that depth chart who are they starting on their D line how are they generating yeah. a pass rush how much you know how are they stopping uh, any how are they stopping anyone uh, all season? They like they they better be an offensive powerhouse next year. And you know they're, they're I don't know. I guess do you, I've I've cooled a little. 
Okay. Um, well, what I guess some what, of the things McCarthy said, like at first, I'm like, all right, McCarthy's not he's not talking stupid. And then he then he did start talking stupid. And like you said, with the the pass rush, like, are you going to be the you know, are you going to be the 2019 Chiefs or 2018 Chiefs? Is that the game plan here? You're just going to outscore them because we're going to have this great offense. Which, I mean, there was times when that offense was stagnant, but. I, I think it can be a great offense with the right coach, and maybe maybe it's a good fit. I think I'm on a hold pattern on the Cowboys getting ready to buy if I like how the offense looks. Mm. Is there anything they could do in this offseason that would uh, kind of sweeten your position in them? I kind of, I mean, like you said, I, I don't know what's available for free agency pass rush, but they don't have the money. Yeah, they they have too, they have too many people to pay. They can't make some free agency splash. They like uh, like Brad said, let's get depth. They need some yeah, depth. Yeah, I, I think, think I, that's the only yeah. plan for them. Get find a bunch of cheap uh, pass rushers. Find some God, cheap. They need to get, run hot on that though. Yeah, they need run, to get no, guys. And that's that the thing. Like, you got to get lucky. Like yeah, yeah. you you got to get lucky on some of that stuff. Like that's why you maybe just bring in some volume. Go get everybody. Anybody yeah. who's willing to go go to the XFL. Find some guys that look good. Bring them in, and hopefully something clicks. Yeah, I mean, by, I like Byron Jones. He's a great player. He's clearly, in my opinion, the top twenty cornerback across the league. Same with Mark Cooper, in my opinion, clearly a top twenty wide receiver across the league. But like, you know, like the reasons they're signing them or the reasons they are letting them go, I don't think they are for the right reason, which is in and of itself an indication, like Brad was saying, like maybe they're just poorly run and they just got lucky with talent, which I think is very, very real that's, possibility. No, that, that um, is, that's not a theory. <laughs> that's what happened. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, I guess, uh, but you, you, you brought up a great point. They got rid of a cancer in that, in the head coach position that like, like we saw what happened when, when, when teams do this, you know, you have a guy that's been there too long gotten malignant there's all kinds of political stuff going on between the quarterback and the coach and the owners you know like like we've seen this play out before and, and removing that head coaches has been uh, has been a relief i mean just look at the packers they bring in lafleur and they go to the nfc championship game that's fair by removing we, we mccarthy were- yeah, we were sh- we were shitty on we were down on the floor. I don't even know if it was the floor. I don't even know if that team was good. I'm not sure anybody in the <laughs> NFC was was that good. Yeah, no, I, I NFC was a yeah. weird deal. Yeah, I just wanted to bring them up to bring up the point that uh, that they made it to the NFC Championship game after removing McCarthy yeah. for the floor. <laughs> and now we're bringing McCarthy into the Cowboys, and because he's you know had a cup of coffee with uh, PFF, he uh, he all of a sudden is is. Yeah, we're gonna find uh, that. That and that's you know, it's so early. We're sitting here and it's March 11th. Talking NFL, so much we don't know. And like, but I tell you what, you two boys have got my juices going. You got got the blood flowing. Like, I'm I'm very excited to do about you know 100 hours of NFL content over the next six months. (laughs) I dig it, man. Um, Final final question. Total uh, totally out of the blue, and then let's wrap this because this has been a lot of fun talking about this. Um, have, have, (laughs) have you, has there ever been a player that has had more value to the franchise in a given season than Pat Mahomes has right now, like ever in the history of the NFL? Surely only Peyton Manning during that 
during that run where it was just him and him and Marvin Harrison and then just scrubs. Even then though, he was four or five years in, right? Pat Mahomes has had two years starting. Yeah. Like if you, what if that, I mean, what if that's true? Like the part about him not really being able to read a defense until the middle. I know. What if that's That's true? What if that's true? What if he was hurt? I, cause I agree with Brad. I thought Pat Mahomes was hurt. And I don't even think it was just the Super Bowl. I think it was from the Patriots game on. I think he was dealing with the hand injury. I saw it once or twice a game. He would shake his hand and look, look down at it like, what the fuck is going on? And he had that kneecap all season kneecap long. Kneecap too. Depressing the numbers. And then yeah. just in the playoffs, you know, it was, it was genocidal. It was, it was insane. <laughs> it was impossibly good. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he had a bad Super Bowl and they won by 11. Like what? Like what? Like what is the ceiling with this guy? They were down by double digits in every playoff game, weren't they? That sounds right to me. Yeah, Yeah. they were down by twenty-four to the Texans. They were down by eleven to the Titans, and then uh, eleven, ten to the uh, Niners. Right? Yeah, that's just that's horrifying. Like if you're (laughs) if you're if you're an opposing coach, oh man, we're up by two scores here gone here he comes or jesus if you're houston my goodness (laughs) what a night what a night he's still got to be waking up in the middle of the night reliving that game anybody on that team we said it in the super bowl preview you you can't keep mahomes and all those weapons out for a full game you can't keep them out for 60 minutes no you have to be prepared to outscore them somehow some way and that's where shanahan failed shanahan wins that super bowl for the niners if he's more aggressive in that game in my opinion that's, they left way what, too many points on the floor on the field. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I got wrong. I, you know, when we were talking about that game, it was oh, I, I think Shanahan knows he has to score thirty points here. I think he's going to go on fourth down, not not kick field goals. You know, just pull all the tricks out of the hat. And he he didn't seem to get that memo. He seemed to think that <laughs> twenty three points would do it, and that would be enough to beat Mahomes. And uh, <laughs> he got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think that is a very fair read. All right. Well, let's wrap there. Uh, great, great talking to you. I really appreciate all your insight. Keep up the amazing work in terms of, uh, you know, communicating the, uh, what the important uh, aspects of what's going on in the gambling industry and in this budding gambling industry of the United States. I really, really, really hope we can, uh, you know, learn from the lessons of what Europe has gone through and, and not make the same mistakes as opposed to, uh, you know, bringing in the worst of what's going on over there and making it even worse. So uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to cover. Uh, you're going to have an incredible book to write, I think, in five, four or five years about all I ever about how this has all gone down because you're effectively recording history in real time. So it's pretty cool and pretty exciting. Congratulations. Keep up the amazing work. And uh, we'll talk to you again as we get closer to the NFL season. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, chaps. It's uh, been, been very enjoyable. And right, yeah, definitely follow, follow Brad on Twitter if you're interested in this sort of news because he is one of the, I mean, I'm just going to flatter you, I guess. One of the better, well, I mean, you're one, you're one of my better news sources that I follow for, oh, yeah, for, for sure. information on, you know, not only legalization in America, but just, you know, gambling stuff worldwide. Yeah. So. I don't know anyone else that's legit. This isn't even just, you know, glowing or, you know, or shining you up here, man. But like, honestly, like there's no, not, there's no one that is covering this with the perspective of how this has all gone down in, in Europe over the last handful of years. Like really, like even like the guys you mentioned, you know, Purdoms, like, like those guys, like they are just used to kind of reporting on what's going on in Las Vegas, right? Reporting on like, okay, well, here's what the legislation is going on in New Jersey. Like, oh, here's, you know, how PAPS was being deconstructed. Like that sort of stuff is fine. 
but like it's much more, I'm much more interested in like, where are we going? Uh, and to that degree, like the perspective that comes along with seeing how it's all played out in the EU and the UK, especially, I think is super valuable. So, uh, keep up the great work and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks chaps. I'm blushing. <laughs> Thanks. All right, go get some, go get some sleep. We kept you up late. You have a good night. Right. Yeah, take See care. You guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.